Welcome to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone, the podcast where we highlight nonprofit leaders in the trenches who share the strategies and tactics they use to grow their organizations and make a difference each day. As we like to say, if you want to be discouraged by a general sense of decay, read the news. But if you want to be inspired by concrete stories of growth, talk to a nonprofit. Here's to the modern day superheroes, the nonprofit leaders. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. We are here with Julia Kirby. She's the Director of Development at St. Lawrence Arts. Julia, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We are really excited to jump into a number of questions. I'm really particularly excited about our ProCon game that's coming up. But before we get to that, our tradition here is diving right into the thick of things. And I was wondering if you could tell us a story about maybe a dramatic or climactic moment that has happened in your development career and how it all worked out. Because I've run a lot of events, there's always a lot of stories there. But usually with events, whether you don't get the right amount of wine glasses or the food's not quite right, you can usually fix it or make it work. But when it comes to asking for money, especially grant money that you're really hoping for, for a project that needs to get done or is already underway and you are trying to make that budget, that can be really harrowing. And for me, one particular incident was submitting a grant on the day it was due and realizing kind of, I don't even know how, that I had not submitted a grant report for the last time I had re- the organization had received funding from this particular granting organization. And kind of the panic of wondering, what do, you know, what do I do? Um, and having to call up the organization and explain what had happened. And hat in hand, hoping that they would not only let me submit a grant for a project that had been completed for over a year, but then also still go forward with the grant that we were submitting for a completely new project. And just feeling kind of, how did that happen? And I hope this doesn't ruin the chance for the organization to get this very important grant for a project that's coming up. And it did all work out. Um, I think that most granting organizations want to see nonprofits succeed. So there's at least some luck in that. But the competition for grants is so incredibly fierce. You have to be really careful that you don't jeopardize what you're doing. Uh, So that was a really scary moment. That is terrifying. That's so, it almost feels like a bad dream where you wake up and you didn't, you know, it's the final exam and... You've somehow slept through every class up until that point. Um, that thanks for sharing that story, though. That is that is absolutely terrifying. And speaking of stories, I would love to hear the story of you and your journey in the nonprofit world and how you got to where you are today. My journey started with an art history degree and wanting to work in a museum, and I started at uh, the Portland Museum of Art here in Portland, Maine, as an intern, and really enjoyed the work. And after the internship was over, I went to work at a historic house museum, which was completely different because in a small environment like a historic house, which this was, is, you end up doing a lot more than just one job. You end up doing a lot of different work. And for me, I gravitated towards marketing and development and found that I really, really enjoyed it. And from there, I kind of took that experience and realized that as much as I love 
art history and got very involved in the particular period of time decorative arts that this historic house museum was about, I realized it was okay to move on just to development and marketing work in a nonprofit. And today I'm now working at a small theater, still really enjoying that small nonprofit work, but no longer thinking curatorial, but more how to keep the organization going forward, budgets, marketing, grants, projects, programming, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And then fast forwarding to where you are today, is there a story or a moment that you could share that for you sort of encapsulates uh, the impact and the role in the community that St. Lawrence Arts is playing today? It plays a huge role in the community. We are in a small neighborhood on the eastern peninsula of Portland, Maine, that at one time was a very difficult neighborhood. It had a lot of absentee landlords. It had a lot of drug trafficking. And it was thought of as the really bad end of town. And right in the center of it, you had a very large church that was built in the 19th century that had all but been abandoned. So having an abandoned building that was turning very derelict really was beginning to bring the neighborhood down. But just as much as it could bring it down, when someone purchased the building with the very intention of creating an art center, it began to bring the neighborhood back up. And when our theater and residence moved in and the theater opened in 2001, all of a sudden the neighborhood took a huge change and restaurants began to come in. And now the neighborhood is so different than when it was, let's say, in 1980 or 1990 or even 2000. We now have a boom in both commercial and residential real estate. It's considered the hot spot of Portland. Home prices have quadrupled and our theater is bustling because we only have 110 seats. We'll only always be a small theater, but we're trying to rebuild the other part of the building, which unfortunately was torn down in 2008 because it was caving in on itself. Wow. That is remarkable to see the transition or the transformation over the decades. Um, that is so cool. I love that. And I love the impact on, on the entire community. Are there tactics or approaches that you could share in your work, Julia, that have been helpful for you as you approach development and fundraising? I think events where you bring your donors in, especially ones that they look forward to year after year, are great tactics. So not events that are new every year. Let's try this, or this kind of is gimmicky. Let's give it a try. But we have two major fundraisers a year and people really come out to support them. And it's a great opportunity to connect with your donors and bring people into the organization because it's kind of hard to just ask for money, even though your mission is great and what you're doing is important and you can show the community impact and how you're reaching a broad audience. But I think it's always important to bring people into an event where maybe the ticket is only $25 and they get to be around people that love the organization. They get to understand what you do and have a good time and get a vibe for the place and the people is always very effective. So you want to use your email marketing and send your annual appeals and sometimes do that cold calling on people but these events that people look forward to, they want to volunteer, that has been very important for us in keeping 
donors staying with us, but also making new donors. Sure. And there's a great insight there. I feel like that if you run the same event or a, a very similar event each year, you get better and better at it. You really get the process down and it doesn't become as chaotic of a lift uh, each time. And um, and you can probably keep getting better at it as opposed to having to do something new every single year and, and you know, reinvent the wheel each time. Um, and then Building on what you said at the end there, are there approaches that you've found to be particularly effective in terms of um, sparking new relationships with folks that are not yet on a journey to becoming a donor, but um, maybe could be or should be? Definitely, you want them to come into your space if you have a space. And one of the challenges for St. Lawrence is we are not in the business of doing, quote, our own programming. We run the building. It's a historic church that was built in 1897. It became an art center in 2001, becoming a 50C3 nonprofit in 1996, and then opening the theater in 2001. But it's the other theater companies that rent the building, that use the building, doing the programming. So for us, just trying to communicate that over and over, that what we do benefits so many other organizations that wouldn't be able to store all this expensive theater equipment, maintain it, have state-of-the-art sound and lighting. It's because of what we do in maintaining this historic space that not only adds to the community, is part of Portland, Maine's historic preservation effort because we have saved this church. And then also supporting these smaller nonprofits, or even just individuals that want to do their art, but don't have a lot of money. So we work with those people and organizations to get them uh, into the building and doing what they want to do. And I think it's important for us when we connect with donors to really emphasize that, that we're not just an old historic church with an art center. We're a place that's supporting all of these artists, performing artists, as they are on their journey to do what they want to do. And sometimes you don't have a lot of money to do that. Well, you can do it at the St. Lawrence. Sure. No, absolutely. And that's a great call out that um, it can be more unique messaging in organization that itself empowers other organizations and individuals. And I love how you sort of couch that, that we enable so much else that can then happen in the community. Mm-hmm. Um Let's jump into our pro-con game, which is always very fun. And we've selected a fascinating topic for today, which is, are donor phone calls worth it? So would you like to take the pro side that, yes, they are worth it, or the con side that, no, they are not? I'll take the con side. I love it. Okay, open up, open fire. Um, Why don't you make an opening statement on why they're not worth it, and then I'll do my best to combat your logic. I think they're not worth it because, first of all, people get a lot of phone calls where they don't know who's calling them. They assume people are maybe asking for money or kind of trying to scam you somehow. And even if the phone call is just to call and thank somebody for making a donation, I find that it can always be very bumpy. It's uh, it's bumpy more times than it's not. It comes off more as a bother to somebody, more than it comes off as something that they appreciate. It's also really difficult with cell phones to make sure you have someone's correct number. Um, the, the days of the landline that was something you could depend on 
you know, year after year seems to have gone by the wayside. And so I feel that even though some of our board members feel it's important to have that personal touch, it's not working anymore, even though it you think it should. No, that's very fair. And I would absolutely agree that the landscape has shifted with landline to cell phone and so forth. And I love your point about interrupting. It is it is fundamentally an interruption, even if it's maybe a good interruption, it is not part of the person's planned day. I guess my pushback would be trying to be creative here. I know that there are technologies that let you, um, in some cases in in bulk, um, send voicemails effectively to a list of phone numbers. And so maybe that could be a way to still utilize the phone by sending um, a more standardized voicemail thank you that people can then listen to at their leisure um and um it kind of gives that personal touch since i think i to your point few organizations are doing this but maybe now it doesn't take very much staff time you can just record it once and then uh, send it and have that have that be the end of it and, and here's a, a con that also is kind of a pro when you do get somebody on the phone and you do want to ask them for something it is an opportunity to put them on the spot, which can work in your favor, especially when you need to ask something and you need an answer. Whereas the email can be that more gentle approach to somebody. It allows them to kind of say yes at their leisure or wriggle off the hook. But I, you know, in a way, I don't want to put people on the spot too much. I don't want to pressure them overly. And yet it can work. <laughs> if you get somebody at the right time and they're feeling generous and, you know, they can say yes. Absolutely. Well, that was fun. Thanks so much for, um, thanks so much for providing that as a topic and, uh, thanks for the debate. I think, yeah, I think there are absolutely pros and cons and I agree with all the points that you made. Certainly. Um, jumping into some rapid fire questions, if you could describe yourself in one word, what would you say? Energetic. I love it. I love it. Talk to us about that. You Working in a very small nonprofit, you have to be flexible about what your job is. And that suits my personality. Perfect. If I only did grant writing and development and working with donors, I don't know that that would feed me as much as what I have going on here, which can be, you know, cleaning the theater. Uh, picking this under the seats, making sure that, you know, uh, it's vacuumed, uh, going outside and working in the garden a little bit, making sure the flowers are watered, uh, you know, caring for the space as a whole. There's so much that needs to be done here. We're a staff of three and I feel like I've got the right energy and attitude to deal with that on a daily basis. And I really like it. If I had to be at my desk all the time, I don't think I, I know I wouldn't be as happy. <laughs> I love it. That's so fun. And that is nice that you can sort of break up your day with different things. Um, what is an exciting shift that you're seeing taking place in the nonprofit world today? Definitely the use of social media. You can reach so many people in so many different ways. When I worked briefly at the Portland Public Library uh, about 10 years ago, they were using text messaging to solicit donors. And I thought to myself, there's no way people are going to respond to a text with money. And yet people do. So it's amazing with events, the way you can put them out on Facebook and Twitter and 
Instagram photos to be in front of people's faces. And it kind of goes back to our pro and con discussion that it, thankfully in this era where you don't know that you can call people all the time or it might bother them, you can Instagram and you can Facebook and Twitter to reach people in so many different ways and in and, and so many free ways, which is so important for our organization, which has an incredibly small budget. We can't be mailing out photographs and newsletters all the time. But if you can get on Instagram and, you know, even if it's just a cat sitting in our garden, it's a great way to just make people think, oh, St. Lawrence has a cat sitting in their garden. That's cute. You know, it's great. So social media for sure. I love it. That's brilliant. Right. And if you think of the cost of distributing a physical picture back in the day, you know, that is that is significant, whereas now it's free. I love the call out there. And then piggybacking on sort of what you shared about um, some of the stuff that you learned about text to give from others. Have there been people at other nonprofits or um, nonprofit networks that you've been part of that have been particularly helpful for your journey that you want to give maybe a shout out to? Definitely. When I worked at the Historic House Museum, there was an individual who came to the Historic House in the 1980s and realized that although the docents and volunteers had done a pretty good job of installing period furniture, she knew that with the right research, she could get the actual original furnishings. And to now that particular Historic House Museum, Victoria Mansion, can boast that it has over 90% of the original furnishings. And she did it by careful research, careful curatorial work, and working with family members to bring back these important pieces. And she was kind of the consummate development person, even though she was a curator. And I kind of learned from her, her name is Arlene Palmer Schwinn, that you have to always be doing development as a nonprofit worker. You always have to kind of have that hat on and be good at knowing what you're doing and being able to talk to donors because you kind of never know when you're going to be in that position. And she was just exquisite at how she worked with donors to get money and objects back to that house. And I learned so much from her. Um, another person would be here in my own organization, St. Lawrence Arts, Deirdre Nice, who is our executive director. And it was Deirdre that came upon this historic church and thought, I want to make that an art center. And she did. And with no money, basically turned it into what it is today. And I, what I've learned from Deirdre is that, you know, you can go and work at a nonprofit and learn their mission and, and then do your best to work at that. But if you've got the passion and you truly believe in the space, that's the person you want in front of your donors because they're kind of living and breathing what they're doing and and their excitement about the project is catching and that's exciting to me what a cool story that's that's so impressive and so inspiring to see an abandoned building and say have the vision to say someday in a few decades this is going to be an art center and this neighborhood is going to be thriving instead of in decay and then have the persistence to stick it out for the many years that that trans transformation takes that is so inspiring. Um, it is. Go ahead. Oh, no, go and, ahead. And the Where's other you? thing that fascinates me about both uh, the two individuals I mentioned is, you know, neither one of them thought they would work at the organization. They were just trying to be helpful, but their work was so good. They both got pulled in. Arlene becoming curator of Victoria Mansion while doing lots of other things and 
uh, and then Deirdre, you know, trying to help the organization that she formed find a director. And after going through a couple individuals, realizing she was the one that should be running it because she was the one who, and in both of these stories, I love, you know, you look at these buildings and think so much could happen here and I'm going to jump in and I'm going to do it. I, I love that. Right. She could see it. She was the one to to make it happen all the way. That's so cool. Um, is there something that as you look back maybe 10 years ago that you didn't appreciate as much as you do today? Probably, I would say just how wonderful it is to work at a nonprofit. They're not just jobs. You don't just leave them behind when you go home. You begin to love the place that you're at, especially in my experience where I've worked at both of these places for long periods of time. I've now been at St. Lawrence Arts since 2010. Um, you know, I feel very lucky as I look back over my career that I've, I've been at places where I they, they feel very much a part of who I am. I feel really good about the work that I do. I think maybe 10 years ago, especially when I decided to make a job change, um, only because I was feeling really ambitious, then maybe I should change jobs and further my career. Uh, and it's become less about that and, and more about really believing in what I'm doing, loving being a part of a community that loves St. Lawrence Arts and wants to see it succeed, and being part of the bigger project of trying to build the other side, which is something that we're working on too. Sure. Sure. Thank you, Julia, so much for spending the time with us. This has been fascinating, and I feel like a very cool window that maybe most people don't often get into what it looks like to have a vision and then see it happen slowly and incrementally over decades. And then to the outside world, it looks like this incredible sudden maybe transformation. But to those on the inside, they see each of the steps and each of the hard-fought battles that led to today. So thank you for the work that you and your organization have been doing. And thanks for spending the time with us today. Where can people go online if they want to learn more about you or if they want to learn more about the Art Center? Our website at St. Lawrence Arts is www.stlawrencearts.org. That's S. T-L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E-A-R-T-S dot org. We're also on Facebook and we're on Twitter and Instagram. And we're right here in Portland, Maine. If people want to stop by and just see this historic building or come to one of the many shows that are happening on our annual calendar. I love it. Thanks again for spending the time with us, Joy. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast network. We appreciate your support. Until next time.